Welcome back to another episode of the Echo Leadership Podcast. I'm so excited for this interview that you're about to hear. This is an interview I did with Mark Batterson. He is a New York Times bestselling author, one of my favorite authors. He has written several really incredible books. Two of his recent books have just been phenomenal. One is Double Blessing. The other is Win the Day. Today, you're going to hear a candid conversation about his leadership of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., right in the heart of it, right in the heart of all the political tension that we faced as a nation. And we're going to talk a little bit about the new book that he just released called Win the Day. I think you're going to be encouraged and blessed by this conversation. Grab a pen, get ready to take some notes, be stretched and encouraged as we get better as leaders together. I'm here with Mark Batterson, the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. Mark, thanks so much for investing in us and making the space to to encourage us today. Absolutely, Andy. Good to be with you. I'm excited to talk about your book that you just released called Win the Day. But before we get there, I'd love for you to unpack your story. You've been in D.C. now for 25 years. Is that right? It is right. We started with about 19 people, and now we're one church with seven campuses throughout the D.C. area, which is a unique entrepreneurial journey. Um, But then we also own and operate a coffee house on Capitol Hill. I've been voted number one coffee house in D.C., and uh, we have a D.C. Dream Center uh, in a part of our city where we are serving friends who maybe are under-resourced or, uh, you know, part of our city that there are some statistics we want to change. We actually own and operate a movie theater on Capitol Hill, and then we're building out a city block as a marketplace and co-working space. So we've got our hands in a few different things and uh, having fun doing it. It's incredible. One of the things that we often talk about with our friends who are pastors across the country is, you know, when you start a church in a more I should say, under-resourced area, fewer churches, you got to get scrappy. Um, there aren't as many buildings. You got to think outside the box. Um, and you very clearly are an entrepreneur. I'm curious to know, is that something that emerged as the church went on, or was that something that was kind of in you like from a young age? I, I think uh, it was probably there, but we, we did the old uh, jump in with both feet. I mean, I had, I had, uh, we had tried to start a church previously, had a 25 year plan and it was a failure, Andy, but I, I look back on it now. I'm grateful because I think the cure for the fear of failure is not success. It's failure in small enough doses that you build up an immunity to That's it. Good. So we were fortunate enough to experience, uh, a failure early on. It was painful. It was hard, but you know, success is well-managed failure. And so we kind of picked up the pieces, moved to DC and gave it another go. And I had never been on a, on a church staff. I had done one internship and that was about it. So it was a uh, trial by fire, I guess. Yeah. M- Mark, I want to come back to what you were saying about the, the failure piece, because there are so many entrepreneurs right now that are dealing with failure. And um, some of it is the, the circumstantial side of it and unforeseen circumstances, people who are having to start businesses over. Uh, what would you say to entrepreneurs right now who maybe built something and COVID has really negatively impacted that? They're not even sure if they're going to be able to continue the organization or business that they started. What are some encouragements that you would have to, to leaders right now from that angle? 
Yeah. Well, for starters, you're not alone. I mean, there are a lot of people in that boat right now um, that are having to pick up those pieces. But but I would say that, you know, I, I think um, one, you, you don't want to you don't want to quit in the the heat of the battle. Um, so don't be careful not to, you know, cash out too soon. You, you kind of have to get to the other side and sort of evaluate where you are. But there are a lot of situations. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's the second, third, 10th attempt. Yeah. that really is the one that ends up being something that, that uh, proves to be that sweet spot. And so, uh, but it's tough, Andy. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I think it's, you learn the lesson, you cultivate the character, you curate the change during those difficult mm. seasons, and then you figure out, okay, um, do we keep going or do we let it go? You know, I've had a business venture that I felt like um, it, it's, the, it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? Mm -hmm. That sometimes you're so far into something that you can't cut it loose and you should. Um, but from my matrix and the way I think, um, I think the question for me is, are you released from it? Mm -hmm. Th that you have to discern. And that actually is a spiritual question for me. I felt like God was releasing me from that uh, attempted church plant. And so that gave me the freedom then to hit the reset button and to start over. There have been other situations where I didn't get uh, the release and I felt like I need to uh, keep on keeping on. And so there is some discernment in that process that you've got to figure out. That's really good. Yeah, the, I, I love what you're saying about just the the fact that there's a there's a side of it when you're discerning it. Okay, there deep within your soul, um, for for us as pastors, especially, you know, we we sense that God factor of like, man, God God's not released me from this. Others who you know have that vision that inspired them that you know I can't. This is this is what I'm called to do. I can't do anything else. And that tenacity. Another thing that I was thinking about as you were talking uh, is like, you know, with, within any vision, there are a lot of flyers that you take. You know, so you have National Community Church, and then within that you had Ebenezer's. Within that you have this project that you're pursuing with the turnaround building. That there, there's are pieces of a bigger vision that might not work out, and that entrepreneurial spirit enables you to really be able to continue to try new things. Talk about that, like you, you kind of throwing stuff at the wall. Not everything you've thrown at the wall has stuck. And how do you apply that mindset to your leadership? Yeah, mindset is the right word. I think it's it's two mindsets. One is that growth mindset. Um, Carol Dweck wrote a brilliant book about it that uh, you have to approach things from that growth mindset of what, what can I learn from this? How can I grow through it? That's critical. Um, and then, you know, I, I also think that along with a growth mindset, you have to play the long game. Mm -hmm. And if you... Otherwise, you're only as good as your last sales uh, pitch. You're only as good as your last game, your last product, uh, you know, your last book. And and I think you got to think longer than that. Mm -hmm. And that growth mindset really is is helped me. Um, and uh, to kind of play play that long game, and I guess to uh, stick it out through thick and thin. Yeah one of one of the other phrases I think it, it's in your book is that most people underestimate, uh, overestimate what they can do in one year, underestimate in a decade. 
And one of the filters that I've applied to my decision-making through COVID is how will this decision play out 10 years from now? And that's helped me kind of stabilize in the midst of the crisis. Um, I'd love to kind of flip uh, over to this concept of day-tight compartments. In your book, you you unpack that whole idea that um, we, we can live our lives in day-tight compartments. Talk about the origination of that concept and wh- where you discovered that. Unpack a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sir William Osler, uh, considered by many the, the father of modern medicine, uh, shared a speech at Yale University in 1913, and he talked about the importance of living in daytight compartments, this idea that yesterday is history, tomorrow is mystery, and so in a sense, you just need to win the day. It's kind of approaching every day like it's the first day and last day of your life, Andy, and I don't say that in a vacuum. Um, I'll give a little bit of context. July 23rd, 2000 should have been the last day of my life. Uh, My intestines ruptured, went in for emergency surgery, two days on a respirator, lost 25 pounds in a week. I shouldn't be here, but I am here. And when you have that kind of experience, you don't take a day for granted. And and so I, I think it's really critically important that whatever goal you're going after, problem you're trying to solve, habit you're trying to break or build, here's the question. Can you do it for a day? And Anybody can do anything for a day. And so what you need to do is find ways to create winning streaks. And, uh, and that really is part of the mindset behind the book. And uh, it's true whether it's physical, relational, spiritual, financial goals that you're going after. You, you have to reverse engineer it from that goal into a daily habit. That's really good. Uh, t- talk a little bit about that on a day-to-day basis. Um, one of the questions I'm always curious about when I, I'm learning from somebody, what's their morning routine look like? Unpack what a typical morning looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm usually up uh, in a normal season uh, by six o'clock and I am not, everybody has a different chronotype. There are larks and owls. So morning people, night people. I'm uh, by discipline. I've become a morning person because it was the only way I could write books and and still pastor a church. So I kind of wear these two hats. Um, And so during a writing season, I I usually uh, am up and at it a little bit earlier. And so it's a six o'clock start. I have a daily daily Bible reading plan that I um, habit stack with my coffee drinking. Uh, My office is right above our coffee house. So I do a small latte, two shots and uh, Bible reads better with a little bit of caffeine. Let's keep it real. Um, And so I do those two things together. I couple them and it becomes part of my morning rhythm. And and then I would say, just kind of make an observation. You you have to know the way that you're wired. 90% of my creativity happens before noon. You don't want to read anything I write afternoon unless, and here's the key, unless I get a short little nap in. A NASA study found that a 26-minute nap increases productivity 34%. And so um, it's not part of my morning routine, but I get up early, I write, I have energy, creativity. Then a nap gives me two windows of creativity, two windows of productivity. And so I've learned to kind of revolve my life in a way that uh, kind of takes that into account and take advantage of it. Um, and by the way, if that doesn't work, uh, it's amazing what hydrating yourself, almost all of us are dehydrated yeah. most of the time. And so you drink a lot of water and it can help uh, refuel 
fuel your brain, believe it or not, or I get down and do push-ups, or I go out and run. And I've got to get some physical energy just to kind of reset my body a little bit. When you're in the writing season, are you um, exclusively writing in terms of your your day-to-day routine? Or are you chunking that out, integrating it into the rest of what you do? I still have my Tuesday meeting day, mm-hmm. and that's where our staff meets. I'll do our weekend planning meetings. Uh, I'll fill it in with any kind of meetings that I need. And so I'm in meeting mode on Tuesdays. Uh, that buys me Wednesday and Thursday as writing days or prep days to communicate mm-hmm. on the weekend. Um And then Friday is another writing day during a writing season. I tap our teaching team a lot more. So I'm doing less teaching so I can do a little bit more writing. And then, uh, and then Monday is my Sabbath. That's my day off. And uh, so I do a little day off phone off and uh, that's kind of my weekly rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, for me, it, it works. What's a good day for you in writing? Like what words or amount of time invested? This might be well, my, my nerd questions and nobody else is interested, but I, <laughs> I'm very curious. Yeah, well, you reverse engineer it. And, uh, you know, my books range from generally uh, 45,000 to 65,000 words. And so um, y- you have to get in X number of words per day. And I'll often write for 12 hours, mi- minus that little nap in the be- middle That's of the crazy. day. That's crazy. So you, will, you um, can do 12 hours of writing in one day? I can. And Are I you, think it's because I, I'm just, Andy, I, I love it. Like I'm functioning in my sweet spot. Not, not that I don't have writer's block. I do, but I, I just kind of get into my writing uh, mindset. By the way, I do two things. Um, I, I sometimes put on my headphones and I'll have a song that I'll put on repeat mm-hmm. uh, without words. It's got to be instrumental. Otherwise it's distracting. And then I take off my shoes because I feel like it's holy ground. And then the way I see it is I'm using the 26 letters of the English alphabet uh, to obey a calling that's on my life and take captive thoughts and ideas. And so that's kind of, I get myself in that mindset. I, you, I can usually get in about about 12 hours on a good day. So on a 12-hour day, how many words would you typically write? A, um, good, a good day. Uh, on, a, on a good day? Yeah. A good I mean, tw- I, I, could, I, I could knock out uh, 5,000 words on a, on a good day. Um, but uh, I will say this, good writing is bad writing, well edited. And so, so what has to happen, Andy, is I'll write a chapter and it'll usually take a few days for me to formulate it. Then I need to let it sit for two weeks and come back to it with, I need to forget what I wrote, mm-hmm. come back to it with fresh eyes. I call it the writing forest. You, you, when you start writing a book, you walk into the writing forest and you walk so far that eventually you get lost. You can't find the path back out of the writing forest. And so you've got to somehow kind of find your way back out. And so what I've learned to do over the years is I actually write shorter chapters because it's easier for me to get in and get out. And by the way, it is a little bit of a Jedi mind trick for readers too, because when you have shorter chapters, people feel like they're better readers. Wow. I just read another chapter. And so it kind of works out both ways. Yeah, it does. Well, and it also makes it, uh, you get through the books a lot faster. Like every one of your books, I'm it, less than a week for me. Unless I'm on an airplane, I, I'll read it 
But the thing I hate about it is it's like it's like binge watching. You know, you're like, oh, man, I watched all that at once. I should have done it one day at a time or one week at a time because it's a, there's so much richness to it. Um, I feel like I have you in your sweet spot. And I, I want to drill down a little bit more because and part of it's my own curiosity. Um, when you you look at like so many of the part of what I hear now in terms of content and producing content is. They, people want you to have a platform before they hire you as an author. And it seems like the game has changed a little bit. Like your number of Instagram followers is now your biggest like litmus test of can you write a book? And what would you say to people? Because not everybody has 100,000 you know, followers on Instagram. What would you say to people who want it right? Where do you start? Is it self-publishing? Yeah. Man, I love that question. It's spot on. I, I think it could be self-publishing. And I would share a frustration that it's not a person's kind of writing ability that dictates uh, whether or not they can uh, you know, have the platform to write a book. But let me say this, 83% of people want to write a book according to a study I just saw. So we're talking to eight out of 10 people here. And uh, the, way, the way you do it is you got to give yourself a deadline. And so I, I felt called to write at 22, but at uh, I was staring 35 in the face, Andy, and I felt like I, I had nothing to show for it. And I was finally so frustrated that I gave myself a self-imposed deadline. I gave myself 40 days to write my first book. It was self-published, uh, titled ID the True You, which uh, I'm not sure it's the best title ever. And by the way, I did try to get it out of circulation, but once it's on Amazon, it's forever. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but the point was I wanted to prove to myself that I could write a book and self-publishing it was a way to do that. What's interesting is if you look at the table of contents, you'll see one chapter title in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. You'll see another chapter title wild goose chase. And so it was the seedbed for those then books that I would write and actually get published. That's really good. So you would say self-publishing is probably a good place to start for somebody who's who doesn't have a big platform but wants to publish something. Absolutely. And and think about it. Like, I mean, you can get it on Amazon. Right. Any self-published book can get on that platform. And that's it's it's where so many people are buying books these days. And so um, you know, a publisher brings certain advantages and brings a weight to it, but um Andy, I want to be careful here, but like, it can't just be about how many copies you right. sell. It can't, it can't be about, no, the question I always ask people is, do you feel called to write a book? If you do, then delayed obedience is disobedience. You need to write the book That's good. as an act of obedience, as a calling. And, uh, and, don't worry about number of sales. I don't see a, a book sold as a book sold. I see it as a prayer answered, by the way, because I have a team that prays that books will get in the right hands at the right time. So it's got to be writing for that audience of one. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, I think a lot of things will take care of themselves. It's really good, Mark. You know, I, I said this um, when we were with our leaders, but I also want to say on this podcast, you you are one of my favorite contemporary authors. Actually, I have two Mark uh, authors that I love. Have you ever read Mark Buchanan? Any of his stuff? Yeah, I love his yep. stuff. Um, but ev every book that you write, I'm I'm on the pre-order list. 
Um, and this win the day book just exceeded, you know, my expectations for whatever that's worth. Um, but it was just such an inspiration and encouragement. And for all of our listeners who are part of the Echo Leadership Podcast, um, the collective, we would love to to give out, we're going to give out 10 free copies of the book. So the first 10 of you to to email in and let us know that you're subscribed, we'll, we'll send you a free copy of the book. Um, those of you who are listening, make sure to pick it up. It's a phenomenal read. Um, one one last concept that I, I want to finish on, um, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, this season really for leaders has required tremendous perseverance. And a lot of leaders have lost their confidence. They've, they've lost their, even the mojo is another phrase, like you, you felt like you knew what you were doing pre-COVID. What would you say to somebody like wh- one thing that would would help them get their confidence back? What one action, habit, way of thinking that would help inspire a sense of confidence against in leader again in leaders? Yeah, well, love the question. It's not an easy one to answer because there are seven habits. All of them, I think, are are critical. But I, I might, I, I might go to uh, maybe let let me go to habit um, number six. Wind the clock. Um, you know, the book is really three time zones. You got to bury dead yesterday's, you got to win the day and you've got to imagine unborn tomorrows. It's so easy to get discouraged if you get focused on the present moment. Mm -hmm. I think leadership is about zooming out and getting perspective on the big picture. You need to remember history and you need to remember the future, by the way, um, which, uh, is a, is a whole different deal. Don't lose faith in the end of the story. I think leaders have the ability to persevere because they continue to look into the future. And so habit number six, wind the clock. Uh, Time is measured in minutes. Life is measured in moments. And so I think part of leadership is learning to manage the minutes as well as managing the moments. One of my mantras, Andy, is don't accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. And I think there's a sixth sense to leadership where, um, you, you just have a certain grit about you. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I won't uh, I won't share the whole story, but one of my favorite stories in the book is the story about the uh, study done with, uh, let's just say, a cheetah on a treadmill, if you can imagine this, with a thermometer in its bum. Um, and uh, animals don't have sweat glands like we do. It's our unique advantage as humankind. It's our ability to persevere, to sweat, to keep on keeping on. And so I talk a little bit about this idea of persistence hunting. And it's kind of a metaphor for life that you do. Overestimate what you can do in a year or two, underestimate what God can do in 10 or 20. And so I would just say, if you're in one of those spots where a little bit discouraged or it's taking longer than what you want, you have to hang in there in those moments. I still remember when our income as a church was $2,000 a month. Man, it, it we were barely surviving. In the last 17 years, we've given more than $20 million to kingdom causes. It's a long ways from giving that first $50 check to giving $20 million. Uh, it's a long ways from, you know, uh, well, we've taken 273 mission trips now. I still remember the first trip. We couldn't field a, a full team. We needed, we had half a team and had to uh, join forces with another team. Don't, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Mm. If you're faithful uh, with a little, uh, God will give you an opportunity to steward a little bit more. And, uh, but you got to be faithful right here, right now. 
Awesome. Mark, thank you so much. It's been such a blessing. Um, I love your leadership. I love your writing. Uh, you've encouraged me so many times in, in pivotal seasons. Your book, The Circle Maker, is one of the top books that has influenced the way that we think and our values as a church. And so I'm excited to int- have introduced you to the Echo Leadership Collective. And I want to encourage you, those of you who are listening, who are watching on YouTube, make sure to go buy the book, win the day, read it, um, share it with your team at your place of work. Such a phenomenal resource to help you win the day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Echo Leadership Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. If you did find it helpful and you feel like we've earned your subscription, go ahead and subscribe, whether it's on Apple, iTunes, perhaps even on YouTube, and that'll get you more content as it comes out. Most importantly, you're a part of a tribe. You're a part of the Echo Leadership Collective. It's a group of leaders from church planters to business leaders to entrepreneurs, and we're all trying to get a little bit better each time we gather together. So we look forward to seeing you and being with you again on another episode of the Echo Leadership Podcast.